I am not one of those priests who contemplated priesthood since he was a little boy. I wasn't even Catholic until I was 10. And so I wasn't celebrating Mass with vanilla wafers and grape juice. I spent most of my high school and college years, in fact, playing the game that so many young men play, which is the romance game. I had all sorts of crushes and women I was interested in, and most of those didn't work out. A couple of them sort of worked out. But despite today having made a promise of celibacy, it is something that was close to my heart, something that I remember with fondness, because romance is something that is deeply part of the human experience. Our media feature romance all the time. Most of the songs on the radio, and again, I know this because I'm celibate, so I'm aware of what speaks to me, most of the songs on the radio are about romance. Many of our movies have to have a romantic element in them. It's something that is constitutive of the human experience, and we can't imagine the human life without some kind of romance. Well, everything good in humanity comes from our creation. So everything good in romance speaks to us somehow of God. And, again, from my brief experience playing this game, I can tell you the two things that it hits. One, as those made in the image of God, we desire to be like God. We desire to love. We desire to give of ourselves. As much as we fear it when we look upon it, the cross is the fulfillment of every human desire because our desire is to be like Jesus, and Jesus gave his life away. And so a significant part of romance is the desire to find someone that I am inspired to give my life away to. But the second part of romance comes from being a creature, a creature of God, somebody who is created by the Lord. As a creature... We have a deep desire to know that we are good and lovable. We want to know that somebody will love us, that somebody sees us as good. And that desire is accentuated in the human heart by the fact that we know that we're not good. We're born into a world of sin, and we feel that sin in our hearts. Even if we can't always point to the sin, we know that we're weak or we're fragile, ways in which we've failed ourselves or failed those around us. And so there's still that part in our heart that wants to be good, that wants to know that we're good. There's that part that's been covered up by our weakness, but that still cries out. Will somebody please tell me that I am made good? Will somebody please tell me that I am worthy of being loved? And so when we play the romance game, that's what we're looking for. Somebody who will say, yeah, I choose that person. I choose to give my life to that person. For somebody to choose us on that level, to choose us exclusively, to give themselves to us in marriage where they say, I'm giving you my entire life, my entire self. It affirms for us that there is still something in us that is good and worthy of love. So good and so worthy of love that somebody would sacrifice their entire life for us. It's no wonder that romance plays such a huge part of our culture. 
of our media, of our books, of our imagination. Well, in our first reading this evening, it ends with a line that is very easy to ignore. Maybe because we've heard it before, maybe because we've just never bothered to think about it. But in the prophet Isaiah it says, As a young man marries a virgin, your builder shall marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices in his bride, so shall your God rejoice in you. I'm not a huge fan of sentimental Christianity, because I don't think it takes seriously enough the reality of sin and salvation. So I'm not a big fan when people say that the Bible is somehow a love letter from God. But they're right. It is a love letter from God. He is telling us that he rejoices in us in the same way that a bridegroom rejoices in his bride. And so we receive from God the same thing that a bride receives from her bridegroom, or that any of us receive when we are chosen by another person. We receive from God a testament that we are good and that we are lovable. Despite our sin, despite our failing, despite our weakness, despite everything, we are good and we are lovable. And we know this because God continues to choose us. He continues to pick us out of fallen creation and say, You, I want you for all eternity. I choose you. I give myself entirely to you. And again, to avoid mere sentimentality, we have to remind ourselves that when God does this, he doesn't just say it. It's not just something that he put in a book written by a prophet that none of us ever met. He followed it up with actions, with historically verifiable actions. The Lord, the second, our first parents rejected him in the Garden of Eden. The second humanity turned his back on the Lord. The Lord put in place a plan to win us back. I'm sure there are marriages in the church tonight where you dated for a while, you broke up, and you got back together. And I'll bet one of you, after that breakup, had a plan to try to get us back together. That's what God did. We rejected him. We ran from him. We turned our back on him. And yet he said, at that moment, I will not give up on humanity. I will pursue them as a bridegroom pursues his bride. And he looked to us. He looked to our salvation from that moment on. He called Abraham out of nowhere, out of nothing, to create a people. He saved that people from slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt. He called that people back to himself over and over again through the prophets. We have this history in our gospel. All those names, all those names that the priest dares to pronounce, all of them tell us the story of God's love for us. From Abraham all the way to Jesus, God was laying a plan to win us back to himself. And then, the grace upon grace, the unexpected miracle, the thing none of us could ever have imagined would happen, God said, I love you so much, 
I want to give myself to you in such a profound way that he took upon himself our human nature. Let's not make light of that. This is the creator of the universe, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the eternal, the infinite. We have nothing in common with God because he is so far beyond us. But he couldn't stand that. He couldn't stand having nothing in common with us. And so he said, I will become a human being. I will take upon myself human flesh in its weakness, in its mortality. I will become a human being because I so desperately wish to be with my people in everything, including in their weakness. When we come together on Christmas to worship our Almighty God, we are worshiping the Almighty God who became a human being because He loved you so much. Because He wanted to be with you so profoundly. We're also often taken with the ups and downs of the royals. The idea that a prince would marry an American divorcee has taken the national attention. But part of that is because of the sacrifice made by those who give up status. I think it was King Edward, before King George, the father of Queen Elizabeth, he gave up the kingship for love. That's what we want. We want somebody to give up everything for us. We desperately desire that. And we see it in our marriages. We see it in our parents and in our families. Imperfectly, because all human beings are imperfect. But if we want that desire to be fulfilled, we need to look no further than the manger and the cross. Because God gave up everything for you, out of love for you. Not humanity in general, not some abstraction, not the body of Christ, though he certainly did that. But for you individually, regardless of your history, regardless of your sin, regardless of what you bring to the table. God loves you so deeply so deeply and so desperately that he was born a tiny child in poverty, without a place to stay, placed in a manger, the thing that animals eat out. He did that because he loves you. He spent his life in obscurity. He suffered at the hands of the governmental and religious leaders. He died on a Roman torture device because of how much he loves you. If you're looking for somebody who's willing to give up everything for you as a sign that you are good and that you are lovable and that you are worth it, look to Jesus Christ. Now, God's not a stalker and he's not a creeper. He pursues you, but if you say no and if you turn your back on him, he's not going to insist. But why would any of us want to do that? The fulfillment of every desire is here. He's here, in the manger, on the cross, in the Eucharist. Jesus Christ is here, loving you and pursuing you. If you want your desires to be fulfilled, allow him to pursue you. Allow him to love you. Allow him to give himself to you. He wants nothing more, and he proved that to us time and time again. The Lord who loves you is here. Come, let us adore him.